0: This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Hank Fordham, White Hat Hacker, tells us about the current cyber situation with regards to Russia and the current war in Ukraine. Former Liberal MP and energy expert Dan McTank from Canadians for Affordable Energy joins the Shift to discuss the rise in gas prices nationwide. Result of the war, plus sanctions, plus carbon taxes, plus a lack of supply and squeeze on oil and gas in Canada. Music journalist Eric Alper also helps us with the Juno Awards as we look for opportunities to celebrate Canadian artists a little bit more. All of this on The Shift Daily Podcast. This is The Shift Podcast. Hank Fordham is a hacker. He's a white hat hacker. That means he works to protect things as opposed to the black hat hacker who does nefarious things and the gray hat hacker who is just indecisive. They can't decide. Um, Hank, thanks for being here, bud. Really appreciate it. And thanks for uh, sharing some insight with us.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Shane.
0: So you, uh, in your eternal nerdiness around the computer, you can't help yourself. Can you? Like you are, all in to monitor what's been going on online with Ukraine and Russia. I mean, you go work your job through the day, protecting businesses and all those things. And then I I think I know you well enough to know that you're banging on that keyboard, trying to find out what's going on in the world.
1: Oh, absolutely. As as soon as this happened, you know, I I think a lot of us in the cybersecurity world kind of called something happening as as even like, especially when we hear Russia (laughs) Um, yeah, but, you know, and, and as soon as people started kind of announcing their allegiance to whatever side they were on, um, and, and that includes ransomware entities, we started to see things really spice up in the underground. And uh, yeah, so I've been mapping it ever since. And we've seen, you know, everything from little trolling to attacking, like pretty serious critical infrastructure. So let's
0: start at the very beginning. Is Russia as bad as they're made out to be in the world of uh trolling, hacking and trying to steal money, whether that's, you know, uh phishing scams or whether it is that sort of we're going to hijack all your data scenario. So it, like is it as bad as everyone says it is or do they get a bad rap?
1: You know, I I don't think they are as as like i'm gonna I'm gonna use the word like tough or or as skilled as 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 we all think they are we we hear like them in the news with in in regards to hacking so often and uh some might even say that some of the best hackers probably come from russia but um you know it was only i th- i think two or three days into the invasion when the conti ransomware group announced that they were in support of the Russian government. And we saw, uh, because it's such a large group, there was a lot of mixed um, opinions from within their group. So as a result of that, they actually had they had a, a big dump, a huge dump. So in, in this, there's all of their chat logs that they've ever had. There's their their ransomware locker source code, their website source codes, and you know passwords, credentials, but it, it goes really far back. And uh part of this is is showing that a lot of their their skills rely on on foreign intelligence and, and foreign skills. Like we're seeing even uh you know North American cybersecurity professionals that have been involved with helping these ransomware groups and and even journalists that are taking payments to help with negotiations with these ransomware groups so i there's like so much information coming out now not only from seeing the fact that it's taken putin so much longer to to complete this invasion than he probably thought it would take but we're seeing it in the cyber side as well and the fact that they really do rely on north american skill to get a lot of their their hacking done
0: So just to be clear on your story, that there was this very large group of hackers that they uh, overarchingly decided that they were going to be in support of Russia. That caused some some infighting, insubordination inside that group. And then some people in that group were like, well, to heck with you guys. We're going to spill the beans, if you will, and open up some of the 11 herbs and spices secret sauce to what goes on
1: yeah yeah you're right on the ball and and conti if if you google c-o-n-t-i they're one of the most i I think prolific ransomware gangs we we hear them in the news as far back as i guess 2019 and and they're even continuing to leak uh leak information now and that's that's not even like that's the the tip of the iceberg for what's been happening since day one of the invasion with you know things going as low as trolling uh um, like boat signals and and making it look like Putin's yacht was on Snake Island to actually attacking uh, satellite infrastructure. And I've been doing my best to map this with, with my friend Will and, and Ryan. And it, it's just been difficult because there's so much going on.
0: So what does that heat map look like? Are you mapping where... Um people are hacking from? Are you uh, mapping where some of these um the damage is being done what what is included in in this heat map of of european hacks?
1: you know it's it's interesting to draw a, a geographical map of hacks and i I didn't realize the the challenge that would go into that before and I created the map and until I actually got into it. but it's kind of a heat map of where the attacks would have hit, as well as in some cases, if if the OSIN or open source intelligence can allow it, where the attack originated from. And so, in some cases, we've been lucky enough to to map out really the whole like visual of an attack from where it happened and and where it hit and how it how it worked and and the depths behind it. And you know, a, a lot of this is even thanks to the fact that the the prime minister of of ukraine even made um he he made like a google forms application so that just anyone could join a telegram chat and kind of join the it army of ukraine and Mm -hmm. in there you just see i mean you see everything they're attacking uh dns like domain servers for uh like big banks burba banks um so it it's just all over the place
0: well, there's been some denial of service attacks on the stock market, on the big banks in Russia. We've seen, uh, those happening. Uh, even the, um, RT, the TV network in Russia, there's been an awful lot of, you know, really sort of hooligan style, inconvenient attacks. Uh, yeah, are, I've it, seen when a you said critical of infrastructure. Of yeah. Like, but I mean, hey, I mean, I guess they're trying to make their point. But when you talk about infrastructure and those kinds of things, what are you seeing? Are you seeing Russia try to go after Ukrainian, say a power plant, or are you seeing, oh, I, you know, the world coming after Russia?
1: It actually got got hacked, and a sorry, lot of their, just their cut their for personal one information was was leaked with that.
0: Say that again, sorry. Who got hacked?
1: Oh, the the Russian Ministry of Defense. Sorry, they they got hacked right after Anonymous made an announcement that that they were going to make their involvement and. Included in that was just, you know, you can imagine a ton of personal information, including, uh, you know, government emails, phone numbers and and oligarchs contact information. I think it only took them a few hours when after the request was initially made from the the Ukrainian government for that information to be leaked.
0: Wow. What about... I've been super curious about, well, I'm super curious about the internet seems to be strong in Ukraine. We've been connecting through the internet and most cell networks, I mean, there's cell networks are sort of two networks. There's the airborne network and then there's the, you know, the IP based network of, of what is the cell you're connecting from tower to tower. And, um, those things seem to have maintained pretty strong. I would guess that if you're a Russian hacker, those are the kinds of things that you would go after first. But I've also wondered about GPS and cell phones. Has anybody been going after Russian soldiers and cell phones and uh, geolocating services and stuff like that to be able to follow those soldiers?
1: Oh, absolutely. And and that actually brings up a really good point with, uh, you know, Elon Musk sent over a bunch of those Starlink terminals so that he could issue some internet to the the citizens in Ukraine. And because in in a lot of places, the only kind of communications are Russian owned. And, uh, that actually kind of makes you a a target because it's beaming out that signal and the signal, because it's based off old technology, that's, you know, it's well, well, everyone's used to it and all the hackers have, have kind of built their tools, Mm. um, it's easy to eavesdrop on and Elon Musk even released a warning saying that if if Ukrainians are going to use the Starlink terminals to set up their antennas far away from people or far away from their houses and only to use them intermittently so i i think that speaks really well to just how vulnerable signals are and like how easy it would be for someone to not only eavesdrop on communications but just jam them or uh, track them and then target that.
0: Uh, Hank, the hacker here on the shift. what would you do? Hank, if you're there and uh, you're in charge of security for Ukraine and you're saying to these people, look, if you don't want to get followed, you don't want to um you don't you don't want to get in trouble reporting the news or whatever or communicating. Um, what should people do? Should they literally be unplugging? Everything and uh, kicking it old school, you know, like you see on the movies, uh, buying a burner you know, phone or or what do they do?
1: It, it's times like this that I think about when I talk about the, the Onion Relay and how important it is when a country is being censored from being able to view content that they want to be able to, to see f- for the real news. And like Russia is banning their... Their citizens from being able to view i think it was twitter and facebook just the other day and but they can still access that through the onion relay using the Tor browser so it, it kind of helps them to still see the real news instead of be viewing the world through these filtered propaganda like sites, so would that be internet. like a
0: like a, a, a anonymous vpn style scenario
1: yeah i a vpn would be good but Uh, the Tor browser is like, if you Google the Tor browser, it's really easy to download and use. And I'm sure that's getting well used right now inside of uh, not only Ukraine, but also Russia.
0: It's absolutely remarkable to think that there's so much going on in the background. Um, When it comes to
1: organized,
0: maybe you know this better than me. um, And I realize you can't answer pieces of this question, but when it comes to the military, you know, are there bunkers of uh, keyboard bangers that are literally working this stuff all day, every day? Or is it more like Ukraine, how they've basically put it out for volunteer core to, to sign up, like you said, over Telegram?
1: You know, I, I honestly kind of expected Ukraine to have a cyber army. I, like, call me naive, but if you look at... Um, any kind of like media reports on China's cyber army, it's, it's insane. You see Mm -hmm. massive rooms full of, of what, you know, they're soldiers they're dressed in garb and everything, but they're just sitting there at a keyboard and, and mouse and computer screen. And uh, yeah, it's, so you, you would assume that they would have a cyber army, but it speaks really well that, you know, that prime minister himself is going on Twitter and asking for the, you know, the IT specialists around the world, the underground IT specialists around the world to join in and help. It's understandable, but it it speaks well that, again, not only Ukraine, but Russia rely on North American talent.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Telegram, we've heard a lot about Telegram. Uh, Tell us about Telegram and how people communicate through it. And is it how private it is?
1: Uh, I, I I try to stay away from Telegram sometimes because every time we we praise something for being so private or so anonymous, it right. tends to become such a target Broken for hackers. Really quick, yeah. Yeah, but, um, and, and we've all heard the stories about the ones that were actually developed by the FBI, like the one called Anom. But, um, you know, I, I, I think Telegram is actually pretty good and there's a, probably a reason that pretty well the whole crypto community relies on telegram for a lot of their communications and not just the crypto community, but they, they tend to be pretty keen on security.
0: Yeah. Well, you would, you'd hope anyway,
1: if nothing else. <laughs> I don't know about uh, these NFTs though.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? <laughs> um, the good news is, is there are some verification services that are starting to come out, uh, to yeah. Hank Fordham, uh, is here with us on the shift. Senior security specialist, Sol Cyber Solutions, uh, does exactly that. Goes in, um, and, and, you know, helps businesses with all of it. And the heat map is really cool, by the way, cause you sent me a picture of that. And, um, and yeah, you can go take a look and it's, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's awesome and frightening all the same time that we rely like-
1: on this. If you want a kind of freaky view of what's happening right now in the cyberspace, just go on Google and search like 3D cyber threat map. And Kaspersky has a good one, and Checkpoint threat map is a good one. But 3D cyber threat map, that's all you got to search. And there's tons of them out there.
0: Oh, well, now you're making me do it here. I'm going to share this at shiftheads.ca, which will take you to the. Um... Uh, take you to our Facebook group. So it's going to be on our Facebook group. Oh, my goodness. Look at this thing go. Is that for amazing? Oh, my God. It's like an animated. It looks like a movie of all of the that's interactions all real. that are happening. That's all happening. All real. Holy. There's a lot of hacking going on in the world. My goodness. Uh, thanks for being here, Hank. Really appreciate the insight.
1: Thank you. This is The Shift Podcast.
0: Uh, Those are big numbers. They're starting to be big numbers. Now, you know what? There's a lot going on in the world. This has happened again and again and again where there's conflict in the world and the price of gas goes up. That part of it is pretty standard. Until uh, markets have been up and down, until things settle down, um, this is the volatility of all of the markets, including the energy market. The difference is the scope of that we're seeing on the end of this scale. Dang McTagg is here. He's with Canadians for affordable energy. And um, we are going to see some big numbers, aren't we Dan? We are, and we have,
2: and uh, we will continue to see those prices move up uh, depending, of course, what happens uh, with that conflict Um, with Russia, no small player attacking uh, a neighboring country. Uh, a country that, uh, in the case of Russia, supplies, uh, uh, you know, is an important member, probably the fourth largest uh, supplier of oil in the world. Um, itself produces over 10 million barrels a day. Put that in perspective, that's 10% of uh, global uh, consumption. Uh, now at war, and uh, obviously uh, has a very strong presence, not just in oil, but in natural gas, uh, delivering that to, Uh, a myriad number of nations out of Europe that have become increasingly reliant on uh, natural gas and to a lesser extent oil from Russia. And so uh, this means that oil prices are high and likely go even higher as uh, Europe and even the United States and other countries move to act to restrict its ability to make money and to finance that war that's engaged in over the past week now in in, uh, Ukraine.
0: Now, your history as an MP, you know, foreign affairs and all those things, um, these conversations are not fun. They're not they're not um, they're not easy and they're not to be taken advantage of. At the same time, like you can't be opportunistic about this, right? Like this is a war. People are in big, big trouble. At the same time, though, the hard conversations need to be had about. Where we are and what's happening, and I'll, I'll let's get political here, Dan, because I know you do like this political stuff, it's kind of your jam, too. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's around oil, though. Is the um, you know, Jason Kenney has come out, you know, out of the gate, all about Alberta oil and everything else. There's a little bit of uh, and I, I'm I live in Alberta. I grew up in Fort McMurray. I mean, I know how far that industry has come in environmental standards and uh, human rights standards and all those things. I've seen it with my own eyes. Even I have been a little bit, okay, man, you got to read the room here uh, with what you're talking about. At the same time, though, the people that are saying Canada can be more self-sufficient than we are in, in situations like this. In fact, we can contribute to the success of positive geopolitics if we were more self-sufficient how do you walk that line uh maybe between your old world in the politics and then your new world uh with the affordable energy conversation because you know you got to read the room and the room is very scared and displeased but the reality is these are decisions that were made long ago that are affecting us today
2: well, right from the top, uh, Shane, I mean, I give full credit to Chris here, Freeland um, and the government. I think they've done a good job so so far in addressing and uh, being part of uh, the ability to, as it were, to the extent possible, neutralize, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin and his designs on Ukraine. You know, I've suggested uh, four courses of action. The last one, of course, meaning Canada must be bold in asserting the right to build pipelines from coast to coast and, uh, you know, reflect on the fact that killing three pipelines and almost destroying a fourth one isn't a very bright thing to do. Uh, Here, of course, I'm referring to Energy East, which would have had, you know, a million barrels go to the East Coast, where Europe isn't very far away, the West Coast, which would have helped Asia, uh, both through Northern Gateway and, of course, South, the United States, which could have been transited anywhere in the world at a time when the United States now apparently is borrowing, uh, importing 800,000 barrels a day. So that aside, I think the government and Canadians um, recognize the severity of the global crisis that we're seeing, uh, the security crisis that we're seeing unfold. Um, It's not the opportunity to say, hey, this is what, uh, it's too bad we caused this. What Canadians, I think, are becoming aware of is our ability to actually help Uh, provide an important uh, key to ensuring that the world becomes less reliant on despots, whether it be from Venezuela, whether it be from Iran, or as we're now seeing from Russia. And so when I think of those pipelines that were shut off, that's 3 million barrels. That's exactly the number of barrels that uh, Russia exports. So Canada, clean, ethically, human rights, all of these things observed, uh, some of the strongest, uh, measures including carbon taxes, one and now two coming soon, it would have been a no-brainer to say now, all right, we've done that, uh, but we also have to recognize the world needs more oil. We went into this problem last week in Ukraine with a fundamental supply shortage globally. And uh, some of that, the result of having overdone the idea of ESG mandates, the so-called environmental, social and governance mandates, and of course uh, doubling down on this idea that we can somehow do away with hard hydrocarbons. The world is saying we can't do that. We certainly can't do that in the short term, and we're not likely to do that in the medium term. So, to the extent that I think Canada now has to have an adult conversation about saying yes, green's important, but there's now something that takes precedence: global security is not negotiable, and Canada plays a very important role. Energy security goes hand-in-hand hand with global security. We knew that in the 1970s. We knew that uh, up until the pandemic. It's time for Canada to step up to the plate. And I don't think it's time for anybody to make partisan comments. As I said, I think everyone's coming at this from different angles. But at the end of the day, I think Canadians are not realizing their pocketbook is telling them there's something terribly wrong with the status quo in Canada.
0: I always ask the question, and I, I, don't, I always avoid on the shift the what-ifs, right? We don't want to create the what-ifs. But uh, I will in this case. There is disputed uh, uh, land between Canada and Russia. There is disputed land between Russia and Japan. There's a string of islands in the Pacific and North Pacific there that, that is disputed of whether they're yours or whether they're mine. And Canada has this with uh, land in the Arctic. There, there's not a lot doesn't take a lot of imagination to think that if Russia's willing to do this with Ukraine, what if they come over the top, right? Yeah. And Canada needs to consider those things. What if they go after Japan? I mean, Japan is a pretty close friend of Canada, um, and not that far away. So these things are um, worth considering. Would we be in the same of the same opinion if it was us? If if we were the target of this sort of behavior from from Russia? So like it does it does lead to that point of why can't we? What is the number one inhibiting factor of us just sort of turning? up the tap if you will and opening up the taps a little bit more in canada is it pipelines is it production is it refining like what is the number one inhibiting factor that we are not prepared for to be self-sufficient in a global crisis to canada take care of itself because i don't believe we are
2: no we're not we look we can ramp up faster than most countries faster than the american frackers can by the way they're 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 uh uh, they're slackers. <laughs> Used to be uh, 13 million barrels of oil produced every day in the United States pre-pandemic. Now 11.5, 11.6, and I, you know, some of that's finances, but a lot of it's woke capitalism. No, no money for fossil fuels. But a lot of us, you know, if you're going to continue to hit us with the environmental regulations, which makes no sense, which our competitors globally don't have to deal with, then why should we sell your wheat? Um, Exxon yesterday. Hey, you go. You want to go after us? You want to uh, force us uh, to, uh, to deal with climate issues? We're not producing any more oil. International Energy Agency, last May, hey, stop producing oil. Three weeks later, oops, we made a mistake. We're short 3 million barrels uh, in production. Uh, supply is definitely sh- falling short of demand canada i think has to get back to the point of something it does well how we do that is going to be important but you know without sounding partisan or uh you know unduly courteous uh look if the federal liberals could invoke the emergencies act for a bunch of folks in front of parliament hill they sure as heck should start thinking about doing it for people who block pipelines in this country and i'm not just talking about the violent example of what we had with the uh, blockage of the coastal gas link this is a pipeline that's been approved uh, and reapproved and approved again i'm also talking about the country's tolerance of foreign interference and god help us if it happens to be money that would came from russia but foreign interference from organizations that have come in and pretty much uh, done a uh, you know a bit of a vandal job on our uh, on our energy sector everyone agrees right now it would be far better for canada to export Eight hundred thousand barrels of oil to the united states than to have it imported from russia there is no debate on that today it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you come from so that would be a start but canada could easily displace the concerns and the angst that i think we now feel that in some way and this is perhaps hindsight you know what if canada had had energy east and we were selling an additional million barrels What if the B.C. government, and I'm not just using them as an example, hadn't spent its time fighting the Trans Mountain pipeline expansion and we had an extra 700, 800,000 barrels to offer the world? These what ifs, I think, need to come back into into a discussion, Uh, because while politicians and a handful of people who have done extraordinarily well by pushing the green agenda and taking on and accepting the uh, internationally funded, uh, uh, you know, attacks on our oil sector are one thing. We've simply denied and forgot that at the end of all of this, Canadians count. And the fact that our Canadian dollar is so weak uh, as a result, um, we're spending a lot more money. It's inflationary. It's destroyed our purchasing power. We can talk about global security, but we also have to talk about domestic affordability and our ability to uh, see the country through some very difficult times. And I think that's... uh, governments, politicians, representatives, opinion leaders, policymakers are duty-bound to considering that. We need, it really comes down to a question of balance. We don't have that in Canada. I think now is the time to actually strike for that.
0: I've heard more people talk about exactly that, about, um, you know, is this the country, uh, this is the best country in the world, but is this the country that's going to be the safest (laughs) when it comes down to a brass tax, if you will, down the road? Okay, so you said a couple of things there. You said um, affordability, um, you said taxes, all those things. We've got base points going up for interest rates. Not a big surprise that was expected. The, it's, not, it's not like it's going to stop people from doing business, but for those that are working on a budget, it is going to impact how much money they have. Probably a drop in the ocean of what is attempts at slowing inflation, or at least helping it. I mean, it's not even going to help. No. But uh, And I'm not even a finance guy, and I can tell you that. It's just not enough. Um, and But at the same time, we're going to see those increase in costs we've already seen increase in costs all over the board and now let's get to the price of gas cuz this is nasty we've already seen it on the west coast the numbers are forecast to be really big this week was it about 5 cents they were talking about you were talking about
2: yeah no i uh, it's gone from a uh, $1.81 to $2. to $2.1 dollars so 01 a 20 cent a liter increase to $2 and .9 cents so 2.01 a liter uh, tomorrow in uh, in vancouver Uh, Most other places aren't far behind. They have a lesser tax in BC. There's three tax jurisdictions. So $1.95 in Victoria, $1.94 in Victoria, and uh, roughly $1.85 is where most other communities in British Columbia, Kelowna, Kamloops, the Interior, Prince George, et cetera, are going to see. Uh, Inevitably, though, um, yeah, these are record prices and uh, they might actually get uh, to be more expensive in the next couple of weeks. I'm estimating perhaps as much as an additional 15 cents a liter if we go to 125 dollars a barrel which uh, isn't uh, out of the realm of possibility and probability over the next uh, several days
0: what are we seeing for the rest of canada because i know that even for me i've had to budget fuel even differently my vehicle only takes 80 liters it's not a huge car uh, but it does um i've had to go about it differently myself so what are we seeing across canada for those same numbers everywhere else what you know record numbers in ontario too
2: yeah, record numbers uh, up since the beginning of the year, uh, almost thirty-five cents a liter since January first, uh, compared to last year up seventy cents a liter. And diesel, don't get me started. Diesel's no. gone absolutely insane. Yeah. You know, uh, wholesale price for diesel this time last year seventy cents, now pushing uh, a lot closer to a dollar thirty for you know, wholesale. So it doesn't matter where you are. Before tax, I think we're dealing with some very, very serious and uh, some you know very you know scary numbers that will make their way throughout the plenum of the economy. This is the cascading effect, the so-called trickle down. When you mess with diesel, whether it's ships in the high seas, uh, whether it's our rail, whether it's our uh, home heating fuel uh, or other proxies that uh, depend on home heating uh, or even uh, the most important, the transportation, the trucks, the stuff that delivers the food. uh, Agricultural products are also very much uh, affected by this. I am convinced we're going to see a 35 percent year-over-year increase in the price of food. That, you know, talk about food insecurity going hand in hand with energy insecurity, going hand in hand with poverty, going hand in hand with an economy that might be stillborn, getting out of uh, the gates uh, post-pandemic. You know, uh, Canada, we got a problem.
0: We're going to see the uh, the political parties come together and find solutions, or are they going to fight it out and try to get power? Because those are the two things that happen, and I've seen more and more and more. um, Maybe back to your MP hat here for a second, is that I've seen the odd conservative go wild on the right. I've seen the odd liberal go wild on the left, and a few in the middle that are looking to complement each other and get some work done. So it seems like... The um, the toe the line scenario could be changing slightly in what we're uh, what we're seeing in Ottawa. What are you seeing?
2: I think it's whoever has the pulse on the you know the uh, finger on the pulse of the nation, um, and it's not someone who can divide the nation. It's obviously going to exclude the existing prime minister. He's too divisive, um, even for liberals. He's too divisive. It has to be someone else. Maybe Christia Freeland. Maybe someone else that the Liberals are thinking of. Conservatives may also have options as well. I don't think the story is finished on Pierre Polyev. I think he's fresh. He's keeping his powder dry. Yes, there's that issue with the convoy. But I think the Liberals try to exploit that. They may find themselves uh, at variance with, uh, with the public. The public's going to want it, someone with a vision that'll get the economy up and rolling and recognize the international pressures as well as the domestic opportunities and say, this is where we have to go and have a plan. Right now, what we have is bickering and uh, you know, infighting and feuding, and uh, no one's winning this battle. Um, and it doesn't help that you have, you know, cheerleaders on the side, uh, you know, uh, doubling down, tripling down, trying to find any way to trip people up. Canadians can't make ends meet, and they're going to be looking for those people out there who've got their backs. And right now, I'm not seeing that from the prime minister or many of the folks around him. I think there's opportunities. Um, but I think we need a change in this country. And the change has to come quickly. We need to move away from these cultural wars that some of my old liberal colleagues are trying to promote. And we need to get back to reality politics. And that's the idea of bread and butter. Bread and butter issues. It's something that worked for me. It worked for my party. And I simply remember, Jean-Claude say, saying to me when I went after the oil companies on competition uh, at the retail level, saying you can do whatever you want, but do not touch the energy sector, because Dan, that's those are the folks that are going to pay down our debt. Those are the folks creating jobs and creating prosperity in this country. You, we'll look after them. You don't need to do that. And I think that's where we need to go. The idea, the dogma that we've been, that we've accepted for the past ten years is that we can kill that industry and we can get rid of manufacturing and we can change the world. And unfortunately, I think politicians who go down that road. And I, I, I it's a solemn offering for members of parliament. You keep this up. And you'll wind up uh, looking uh, for other jobs. And uh, although you might have a pension, uh, it won't be much.
0: Uh, take it from the former former MP. Um, you get Absolutely. there's some c- pretty clear perspective, isn't it? I will. I do want to uh, end with a complimentary note about this. Mm-hmm. Is that if is a if as a Canadian you like. I don't like to put the parties in a bucket although at times they put themselves into <laughs> one bucket. They do. They like well it's like let's everybody on board. Uh, but I will say this, if as a Canadian you feel like this is a bit of a downer conversation, I will tell you this is that Christia Freeland, look her up if you don't know her background. Look up her family background and look up some of her uh you know political history in and around Russia and Europe. And I can tell you this, I politically <laughs> have said a lot of things about Work she's done. This is cliche, but the dog in the fight, regardless of the party, her history alone and the work she's doing right now. I will say this: that she is um, Canada does have a dog in this fight when it comes to dealing with this war and uh, making sure that uh, Canada participates at the level that it that it wants to, and that's in Christian Freeland. And I don't, I don't, I, I say that because in order to be in integrity around all the things when I I do hold politicians into account for the terrible things they do. Uh, Ms. Freeland included, um, I will say that, agree or disagree with the politics, uh, Canada has someone who's paying very close attention to what's going on here, and that's worth noting. And it's true. Yeah. Um, Dan McTagg, Canadians for Affordable Energy. Um, I always hope that you're wrong. <laughs> I do. I, <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Uh, you won't have
2: me on talking about gas prices. Maybe uh, I'll be yeah. happy to come back and tell them when they drop 30 cents a liter.
0: Yeah, I look forward to that day. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Shane.
1: This is the Shift Podcast.
0: The Junos were announced this week. Eric Alper is here. Eric, um, the the Junos were announced this week. That's all I've got. Actually, that's that's my excitement level.
3: Yeah, that, that's OK. You know, I mean, look, it's it's one of those situations where you almost can't win anymore if you're an awards show, you know, with Charlotte Cardin leading the way with with six nominations, um, not a household name, but she beat out The Weeknd and Justin Bieber, who are. And Drake is, of course, nowhere to be seen because he has still continued his boycott of any award show, even though that one of his songs was nominated for um, in the producers category for um, Drake's producer Wonder Girl. Um, But yeah, you know, it's one of those things where if you look at the nominees, you think, wow, like there's 80 first time nominations. And unless you're on TikTok all the time, Mm -hmm. you probably have no idea who these people are, but they're getting tens of millions of streams and views.
0: Well, the Junos have always been, there's always been a couple of nuggets of who's that person, right? Like there always has been a little bit of good exposure that's sort of come along. And I, I mean, I get that. I like that part, frankly, uh, exposes some of the independent people. And maybe I'm doing a David versus Goliath scenario here. <laughs> when Justin Bieber, who is a Canadian, but has not really lived and worked in Canada for most of his music life, right um, you know uh, even Abel you know Abel comes back and forth and 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 does all kinds of things still young in the career but crushing it Sean Mendez is another one you know Sean also flew the coupe um, loud luxury flew the coupe um, don't blame them though because they needed to Forrest black is in um, is in Los Angeles but he's so fledgling in his international career that makes sense for me loud luxury makes sense for me. I, I don't understand why Shawn Mendes and The Weeknd and Justin Bieber are all still in the same category because it feels to me that I mean great music they deserve to win awards absolutely but I feel like they're stealing the thunder away from away from uh, some of the Canadians that that need the exposure and and I I feel like it's like the NHL If the NHL had no salary caps, right. Or like the NBA where they stack these teams with these mega players and you got LeBron and KD and all these guys all on one team. And then you've got this team of these rookies that are the up and comers that are doing really great things.
3: Like it's fun for a while. Right. Right. And then you, and then you just start to get bored of the same names over and over again. And, and I, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. I don't. I, I don't know how much I share that because Canada happened to be blessed with also the Polaris music prize, which um, allows a lot of the up and coming and the really cool artists um, that aren't um, that aren't nominated based on their sales, but, but just based on the sole moral credit of their music, which is really, really good. And a lot of artists have, have kind of come out to popularity from that. I think the problem with award shows sometimes is that, um, and, and you know, the Junos are like this, the Brit are like this, and the Grammys are like this. Um, once it turns into a television show, you have to go for the ratings, right. even though that Justin Bieber and The Weeknd and Shawn Mendes may not show up. Avril Lavigne is going to be a performer for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those situations where um, you, you don't want to leave them out simply because they're popular because the other way happens backwards too where certain artists like say Brian Adams recorded one of his albums in the in the 90s or early 2000s outside of Canada and didn't qualify under the Canadian content rules for radio every radio station has to play at least 35% Canadian content um and so he was Canadian but his songwriter were not, he didn't make the album in Canada and maybe he shared the credit with the recording of the music or in the writing of the music. So he didn't even qualify, which was kind of ridiculous at the time because of course, Brian Adams is Canadian. Of course, Justin Bieber is Canadian, but you know, it can backfire on you as well to say, well, you know, you just kind of have to go down the middle and, and say, well, as long as they don't give up their citizenship, they're still Canadian.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess that I this comes into some political stuff, I suppose, around music, Eric, is that, you know, so many of these Canadians get grants to shoot their music videos, for example, right? And they get a grant to shoot a music video and it has to be spent on Canadian producers. Well, there is an entire community of Canadian producers in Los Angeles. And so they go to Los Angeles and they spend the money outside Mm -hmm. the country with Canadians, right? So that does happen. And in Canada, like, Justin Bieber doesn't have to make albums. He can afford to not make albums because he doesn't need grants to make albums. Some of these independent people, they need the grant money to make albums and the only, there's no grants for singles in Canada. And that's why Canadian artists, country artists is a great example, make. Yeah albums because they have to make an album in order to get the money to
3: qualify. I totally agree with you. So I'm dealing with that all the time. When like pop singers that are 15, 16, 17 years old are only making singles. And then I tell them, well, at the end of six songs, wrap it all up into an EP. So you qualify for factor grants or the government grant. The thing also that people need to keep in mind when, you know, when they talk about grants and especially when it comes to the music industry, whenever the annual report comes out and the list of, of all the artists that get it. And you know, that the there's always names banded about like why does Blue Rodeo get money and why does Sarah McLaughlin get money? Well, the fact of the matter is though, that they're the ones that are actually realistically keeping those grants alive by in some cases, if they have to pay it back based on their sales, they might be actually you know driving the rest of the grant money available for those independent artists. I think one day, very, very soon, and I think the start is now. Um, For this year, you are going to see not every like, you know, not every Neil Young album got a Juno award nomination, not every Leonard Cohen album got a Juno nomination. So I think sooner than later, you're going to start to see these 80 first time nominees start to get bigger and bigger and bigger, like Tate McRae out of Calgary, who's Mm -hmm. blowing up around the world, start to take over those, you know, guaranteed spots from those now artists that are soon to be veteran and then your your kids and my kids are all going to complain that oh this is tate mccray's 16th juno nomination enough of her already, you know so things go in cycles
0: well i want to see more of forest black on there right like i want to see more brett kissel on there i want to see more of these canadian artists that we listen to all day every day and at the same time, yeah, we need mentorship because I think it's great for young artists to see um, the weekend or Shawn Mendes, um, or I mean, most people don't even know Shawn Mendes is Canadian because he's so not Canadian. Um, but the you know some of these artists like Justin Bieber. The, what becomes possible, right? Like inspire yeah, people, but I, totally. so have them at the awards. Get your ratings, but do you, at a certain point do they, you know, put them in their own category at that point, uh, or in the international categories and let them win those? Because there's a fine line between uh, the award show being the best songs versus the most popular. And I think that what we're seeing here in a lot of ways, is we're seeing both of those happen at the same time, with Unknowns creating the best songs, and at the same time, the most popular showing up as well, and I think the people in the middle get a little lost, that's all.
3: Yeah, and 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 look, you absolutely have a point, and look, in, in the case of the last couple of years for Canadian music, yeah, I think Justin Bieber put out some of the best pop music out there. The weekend yep. is crushing it around Hands the down. world. Um, You know, uh, what people may or may not know is that you know the entire Canadian music industry narrows down the votes. They actually have a say in it, so it, it's a bigger problem than just Justin Bieber as a concept or The Weekend as a concept. Right. It has to do with you know are there record labels that will tell people to all vote one way because that's the album that we are making the most profit on. Like there, things are never what they seem to be. And there's always a reason for everything, and I'm not saying that that anybody knows what the winners are. But yeah, I would venture to say that there's probably a lot of 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 nomination. Uh, I would venture to say that there's probably a lot of categories that deserve to be heard and seen more certainly. But I'm not that much underground to know that that is what is going to bring one million people watching it if it's all filled with alt rock or alt country artists that people just don't know yet that's why i think this is going to be really interesting if i'm the junos and far be it for me to tell anybody what to do with their lives i might just think about maybe going on tiktok next year Along with, you know, whatever broadcaster that they sign with or whatever, you know, whoever their partnership is. Because if all these artists are from there and people are getting really excited and and selling and streaming a lot, those this generation of eight to 15 year olds aren't really watching network television as much as they used to but they certainly know who's going to win because they see those short clips on youtube and tiktok and instagram so we're living in a social media dominated music industry right now and that's not going to change for a while
0: well yeah if you can get your song on tiktok you're going to make money um and the question always comes down to this is what comes first the chicken or the egg which is which do you do the tv show first then play the clips on social media or do you do the show on social media and play the clips on the tv news
3: well, I think we're going to find out that answer soon enough because the Fan Choice Award for the Junos is actually sponsored by TikTok this year, which is, oh, I think, a really good step. They're advertising um, everywhere. So it'll be, yeah, I mean, but, you know, there could be exclusive content that comes down um, everybody's phone in the next couple of weeks that you can only watch on TikTok or behind-the-scenes footage. So it, it's creeping towards the bite-sized um, programming. But, you know, formats always dictated... The music industry. We got amazing albums like Sgt. Pepper and Dark Side of the Moon and so forth and so forth because records now had 46 minutes worth of music that you could put on it as opposed to seven and a half minutes. We got classic albums like, you know. Never mind, and 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 Burl Jam and Soundgarden, because the CDs allowed seventy-four minutes worth of music. So now, if this current generation of music lovers, the new ones, they only want to listen to forty-five seconds worth of music. Well, they're gonna get forty-five seconds yeah. worth of music.
0: Well, and that's a very good point. Although I do raise this, like I always do. Imagine how terrible nightclubs would be when people only know how to dance a dance for seven seconds at a time. <laughs> Um, you know
3: what my wife would say that that's watching me dance that's 7 seconds too long for too Eric much. to dance yeah <laughs>
0: Eric Alper here I do want to acknowledge like I love Canadian music I love supporting Canadian I know music you do. and I I do and um I just think they don't quite have it right yet and in these times where things are changing quickly with TikTok I, I, you know, I want to see Justin Bieber there. I want to see Justin Bieber perform so I get to watch him on TV because I think he's making the best music of his life right now, hands down. Um, and same thing with Abel. Like, I want to see the weekend there. I want to see him do those amazing things. I want him to see him take the Super Bowl from last year and bring yeah. it onto a Canadian stage so everyone can enjoy it. Like, this is the power that these people have. But I don't want the little people to be forgotten either. So I'll acknowledge a couple of really cool things that people don't catch. These are the ones when I voice the gala that get announced. Most of the awards get announced in the gala. That was the fun part. Yeah,
3: the Saturday night before. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and it's a big. It used to be anyway. A big dinner, and and that's where. that's what, that was the uh, fun like part. 30, to-
3: 38 of the 46 awards are handed out.
0: Yeah. And so I, that was my favorite part, right? Was to uh, sit and and uh, when I got to be involved in that. Maestro Fresh West has Children's Job of the Year nominee for Young Maestro School Days. Want to acknowledge that. So uh, that is a big shift in what he's providing for entertainment. And also, Walk Off the Earth has one yeah. as well, which yeah, is cool. And in-
3: and in fact, their their daughter is now the youngest Juno nominee in history because really? she is on that record and she's four years old.
0: Wow. <laughs> see? I think that's I amazing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Look, so, we just might see the whole start of a, of a whole new generation.
0: Not to be forgotten, all of the great things that do go on in the background, including, like, for example, French music in Canada gets a salute, right? Uh, hip-hop in Canada, which often gets you know, left behind and, uh, the indigenous, uh, recordings, which by the way are fantastic. Don't allow stereotypes to jump in there. When you take a blend of pop or dance and you throw in some of those, um, more traditional indigenous sounds, it's cool stuff. Dance music in Canada is alive and well, and it, it gets its category, uh, there too. So it does get a K, uh, K and all those getting, um, those nods, but that's what I'm talking about. Right. Is that... Uh you know, those artists aren't bubbling to the top when some of them certainly belong to compete when it comes to the quality of the music, not necessarily the popularity.
3: Yeah, I, I hear you. And, and I think it's just a bigger problem than the Junos. I think all of those artists that you mentioned and the one that are in their, those categories, they're not on the radio. They're yeah. not getting their videos played where they should be. They're not getting those sponsorship deals. They're just not getting those pyramid um, top level Um, opportunities um, but they never they never did you know it's why we it's why I long have admired Maestro Fresh West and Buffy St. Marie and so many others that busted down those doors decades ago that were still fighting on their behalf for their attention
0: yeah Well, some music directors gave him a chance. Not all of them. (laughs) Not all. Thanks so much, Eric Alper, for being here. Throw out your your Twitter because I know you love the Twitter and the socials um, so everyone can get access to you.
3: Yeah, it's at that Eric Alper on Twitter and uh, that ericalper.com for the homepage.
0: Thanks, bud. Great to see you.
3: Good to see you too. Thanks, man.